Yeah, don't worry about it. Okay, I'm going to start now. Hi, cool. this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, I am joined by Bianca Ho, a co-founder and COO of Wati.io and Claire.ai. Bianca, it's great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Thank you, Michael. Very excited to be here. Doing very well today. Awesome. Before we get into the main part of the conversation, can we give our listeners a little bit of your background for context? Yeah, sure. So I'm the CEO and co-founder of Clary.ai and Wati.io. I'm an ex-banker turned entrepreneur. Okay. And uh, prior to starting Wati, I was with uh, Zendesk as well, as well as One Sky. Ah, Zendesk. So that explains maybe why you've come down this alley. What kind of banking were you doing before you became an entrepreneur? Yeah, I did. Uh, I was at JP Morgan at their private banking as an analyst. So it was focused on kind of like business development, but in the banking side, right? If you think about it that way. And I've always been focusing on the sales part, the business development part. Did you enjoy working at JP Morgan? You know that I've come out of a background of Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. So I did that for 20 something years. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. I felt it gave me the idea. Like, first of all, there was like a fantastic training program where we were all sent to New York. Oh. Uh, on Yeah. So that was very good. Um, on top of that, I did get a lot of exposure into the markets which I felt is important to understand. Right. Um, and a lot of times, you know, there are a lot of events affecting the market, not only, you know, just like uh, looking at the graphs, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. boring piece. Yeah. So I felt like that's really helpful. On top of that, I understood how processes, although at times it might be tough, <laughs> would help scale up the company. So that's where I saw it at at its best. <laughs> it's a really important point, right? A lot of people look at startups and just think they're anti-corporate. We don't want to become like that. And yet one of the things that I learned, particularly at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs was if there is a proper process for it, it means you can replicate it. And if you can replicate it, exactly. you can scale it. And if you can't, exactly. you can't, right? It doesn't mean you have to be like so wed to that one process and it doesn't mean that it can't change, but you have to have something, exactly. right? Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. I think now we're in the process of scaling up and that also, like, I'm also thinking through, like, okay, like, how did I, when I was working there, you know, how did I think about it? Um, and, you know, obviously, at our company, we're not regulated industry. So it, there is a bit more space to play around with like processes. So because with them, you know, a mistake could cost millions, right? So, you know, the, the consequences are dire and, and huge. Uh, but in, in our case, right, like, it would mean a client is not happy, or, uh, you know, this process is done slow. So, you know, that's something that I'm always kind of aware and, you know, focused on. Really important point. I want to talk about Claire and Wati, but I think that they were started in a very specific order. So maybe you can run me through that. I feel like yeah. one birthed the other. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Can you just tell me, walk me through that process? Sure. So we started in 2016 when Ken invited me as her, uh, his co-founder. Great. So he started Clary Eye already. And back then it was really at the cups of kind of natural language processing. And we were thinking like, hey, like where do we apply this AI technology to serve larger enterprises? And we started with targeting large enterprises in Asia. So what we did is essentially we did, built a digital assistant solution that was very flexible. 
it connects with our natural language processing engine. And then it also has a brain, what, what you call the admin panel. So you can explain what to answer, right? So, you know, for example, in a automated query, you have to know what to answer, right? Like, right. even if I understand you're saying hi, I don't know what, how to answer it, right? right so right. that's the brain, kind of like that's behind. So there's, you know, the interpretation piece and then also the answer logic piece. Can I ask why you and Ken actually thought that this was a good idea back then? I'm not saying it's not, but what yeah. was the impetus? You know what I mean? Like, what was the gap that you were trying to fill? Yeah. Back then, I think it was when natural language processing first became more available to the public uh, because there has been open source of the algorithm. Uh, why we felt it is a good solution has mainly to do with the market appetite. Like, we would see there's a huge gap for... Uh, large banks, right? Companies with a lot of end users to automate that piece and reduce customer support costs. So that's as easy as kind of how we kind of approach and looked at the problems like, okay, look, you know, this uh, has a lot of logic, uh, but then it's probably very worthwhile for larger enterprises to adopt. So that's how we kind of came into that. I feel like five years in the technology world is like 700 years in any other world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a indeed. bit of an exaggeration, but you know what I mean? At least you laugh. Yeah. Right? What do you think has changed the most since you launched Claire, both from a technology yeah. standpoint, but also from sort of a market acceptance and usage standpoint? Yeah, there is a couple of things that I think has changed. And I'll go into both consumer and merchant end, right? Please. Like the client end. Uh, consumer wise, before it was okay to call. Now everyone like sees call as a, like a monster, right? People don't want to receive calls. Like including myself, like I just don't want to be interrupted, and it's no. like so real time. Yeah, when my phone rings, I get mad. I'm like, who's who's calling me? <laughs> so I think that's one. The second thing is that because everyone is so spoiled of the what we call now economy, you get everything with a click, right? right. Don't need to cook. You know, click one button, you get your delivery. Click one button, you get the song. Click one button, you get a book. You know, so it's a very, very convenient kind of like society. And I think that expectation has permeated to the B2C world, right? Okay. Yeah. So a B2B world, if you may say. So I think that's another kind of aspect that we see in the consumer side. And I think what that means to kind of like if you are a company and you're trying to sell to the customer, you need to be available at all sorts of channels, particularly those that they're very familiar with. You know, I, I like yesterday, I was like emailing a restaurant and find it so cumbersome because I don't really check my personal email. So I have to like use extra effort to kind of like go in and check, you know, so that like to me, I was like, oh, why am I doing that, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's also like, how do you make it the most effortless to the consumer in a way where it would make make your business more competitive? Okay. I felt like that that has really changed. Like in the past, like if you really think about it in the 50s, you know, you really beg a company to work with you <laughs> or you go to a bank, you really beg them. It's like, please, you know, give me a letter of credit or like it's that type of experience. Right. Whereas now it's like, hey, if I can't go online and open an account, like, you know, it's okay. You know, I'll go to the next bank. Right. So I felt like that has really changed. And you can see like bank has so much 
bargaining power per se, right? Um, you know, you already have a relationship with a financial organization uh, or like authority. So, you know, they come from a lot of bargaining power. But now, you know, we've seen a huge switch in the consumer end, uh, uh, consumer expectations and that they need to change. And I think that obviously if they change, then all the other smaller businesses also are expected to change. Do you feel like the leverage has switched? You mentioned this thing about going yeah. to get a letter of credit where you'd walk into a bank and kind of beg like, please, I can definitely afford this and my credit's good. Yeah. Do you feel like it's switched now where the banks are not coming to you going, would you like a letter of credit? And you're like, no, thank you. I'll take yeah. it from another bank. <laughs> Do you see that? Yeah, I felt like there's a huge switch in terms of consumer focus. Right. Right. We have a voice, right? You go online, you leave a bad review. Honestly, the, the company will be calling you like 10 times just to say like, hi, Mr. Michael, I'm really sorry about this. You know, can you please switch the review? And it plays such an important role. Uh, so that's also something I realized, right? Like it, it switched from like a, a company focus kind of experience to right now a consumer focused experience. And yeah, I think a lot of companies have been super successful. If you think about like Amazon, um, you know, Uber, Netflix, all of them are super focused on the end consumer. Um, and I think that's kind of like what has switched. Can you give me like a use case for Claire? Like how would I use it, right? I have meetings to yeah, plan, sure. I have emails to answer to, I've got phone calls that I don't want to take. If I yeah. myself employ it, and I think about this a lot, right? I want to have an automated assistant. I need one. Yeah. How would I use it? So for example, Signal uses us to use WhatsApp to communicate with their end customers. And essentially their end customers can within WhatsApp use Wa through Wati's system, within WhatsApp interact with Signal's systems, right? So I can say like, hi, Michael. And then it would check whether you are an existing, like a person that's insured under their plans. Policyholder. And then you can also check like the last claim statuses. So we built this engine to be very flexible in the logic so that it will help a lot of large companies to be able to automate it, communicate with their customers. And is it verbal or is it, cause you just mentioned, you just mentioned WhatsApp. Yeah. So you're saying, so Wati is the second company that you found. And I said, I feel like yes. it was birthed out of Claire. It did, yeah. What was the reason for taking that and making it a separate thing? Yeah. So with large enterprises, I think a couple of things has changed like in that, like the technology as well as the consumer. Right. Uh, we became an official WhatsApp partnership back in 2019. So they chose us as one of the first few that granted the official partnership. Uh, since then, we've been getting a huge pull in terms of people asking like, hey, can you build a WhatsApp chatbot for us? So like we've got a lot of calls, inbound calls and say like, hey, can you do this for us? But what we realized is like, hey, like actually, their profile doesn't really fit our large enterprise segment, right? Because right. the expectations uh, that larger enterprise have is vastly different than the expectations of a small to medium business have. Sure. And there we, we start to see like, hey, there's this trend and signal that we realize that smaller businesses can use a self-service low-code tool to use it, to do what they want to do, which is to build an automated chat like engine. So, and that, that's where we got the inspiration for getting uh, Wati on as a separate product. Okay. There's so much to unpack here. Again, <laughs> so I use WhatsApp every day to communicate with people. Exactly. Yeah. I can't code at all. I wouldn't even yeah. begin to try. 
but I know there are some interactions that I have. Like here's a typical interaction for me, right? And I used to think about mm -hmm. using if this, then that for that, but I wasn't very good at programming that either. Mm -hmm. But I have a whole host of people that I want to get onto my shows, right? And I want mm -hmm. to schedule them. And yeah. I think I even mentioned this to you, like I resisted using even Calendly for a while because I just thought it was so impersonal. No, but, but it's great. You, no, you get to choose your own, right? Oh my God, it's the most amazing thing in the world. But yeah. some, people, some people do still get a little bit insulted by it, but once they use it, they're like, oh, that was simple for me. Yeah, exactly. And then they're like, how do I sign up for that? <laughs> right? So now they're no longer mad. Now they're happy that you've introduced them to something great. But let's get back to Wati. So if I want to use that, to interact with people that I want to have on the show, which I do, how mm -hmm. do I build that? So I give them my phone number, right? They connect to me on WhatsApp or do I have a business phone? Like how does all that work? So I'm assuming you'll be uh, signing up from your company. So through that company, you can go to Wati to apply for an API access. Okay. So basically you won't be using the regular WhatsApp app or the WhatsApp business app. What you will be using is actually WhatsApp business API, which is the product that we are offering. So it's three separate, completely separate WhatsApp products. So you wrote that? No. So the API is provided by WhatsApp. Go ahead. What we did is because the API is just API, right? Yep, yep. Like it's a bunch of codes and you and I can't read that. <laughs> so what we did is actually essentially we added this layer okay. on top to help you program. So for example, in your case, you can send them like, oh, this uh, Michael uh, media company, and then they can start to text. So you can program it, say, press one, book a time to have a first call, press two, book a time to have an interview, right? and then press three if you just need me, right? <laughs> so it can be routed to you. In that case, for each of those interactions, like press one, you can send them a Calendly link which can be automated. So that's number one. Number two, you can also connect with what we call a flow to connect to Google Sheets so you can check it later. So it's in an organized place whereby you say like, hey, what's your name? Bianca, what's your company name? Wati and Claire AI. When do you want to book a time? Saturday, 2 to 3 p.m. Hong Kong time. You know, so that's something that can be done and it can be stored to a Google Sheet. So that's very easy for the end customer as well as you. So how did you know that I kept track of all my stuff in Google Sheets? <laughs> Have you been following <laughs> Who me? Who doesn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is like, I mean, that's the thing. Like we really focus on SMB and we, we are an SMB. So we also understand that. And a big part of it is, you know, even our CRM is on Google Sheet is so embarrassing. But it works, right, for, yeah. you know, up to a certain scale. Sure, sure. And, uh, yeah, as long as, like, uh, that gets automated, then it, you know, saves your time. And one of our mission is also to help companies do more with less. And very simply, you know, we want to help them automate. Uh, you can also assign to multiple people. So say you have a assistant that would help to look, look into your calendar. So, you know, if there is a booking as such, you can assign it to her as well. Right. Is this, is this some WhatsApp API, a new thing? You said 2019 and you Correct, said yeah. that Wati, I believe was one of the first companies. Is that just regionally or globally to be given access to that API? Globally? Yeah. There's no like limitation on where, who you work with. Right. So for example, now we have more than 1,600 customer across 54 countries. But how did that happen? In other words, why did they choose you? How did they even know you existed? 
Yeah, I'm really amazed as well. So they reached out to you. They did, yeah. Like, and we also did a lot of paid ads and also education in the market. Sure. Because, uh, like, like you say, right? Like, hey, I'm already using WhatsApp every day. What does API really bring me? So in the beginning, it was a lot about education and helping people to understand that. Right. Yeah, and I think one thing we did well is we made it really relatively simple. I wouldn't say super simple. Uh, to understand the API because it is a very separate product comparing right. to the current WhatsApp that you're using. And it is, it can be quite confusing. So we try to simplify that process. So this is two questions that just popped into my mind, but do you feel like this sort of institutionalization mm. on the consumer side, right? So we saw this on the device side. It started probably like in 2007, I'm going to say when the iPhone came out and you really had this like supercomputer in your pocket just as yeah. an individual. But do you feel yeah. like this is also a software and API style trend where individuals and small, very small companies, right, are now getting access to the same tools that institutions and corporations have had for decades because of the ability to sort of frictionlessly distribute them, but also because of the sophistication of the code on the back end now makes it just as easy for me to set up, like you said, a no-code way to communicate with my customers. Do you feel yeah. like this is a trend? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think there's multiple things that come into play. Tell me. Uh, COVID definitely accelerated cloud adoption. For sure. Honestly, it's really funny. So in the very beginning, we were interviewing kind of different merchants. And I was like, hey, like, how do you, how many WhatsApp do you have? Right. They're like, uh, I have 10. And I'm like, how do you manage 10 WhatsApp numbers? It doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> and uh, they told me, actually, they were passing around phones among in the company physically and having one phone number for each new intern. Oh my God. Sorry. Yeah. Like it, it does not make sense at it doesn't all. Scale. Like, that so, gets back to what we were talking about before. It doesn't scale. Exactly. So, you know, you will be like, Oh, replying this message from Michael. And then you'll pass to your colleague to say like, Oh, reply this. And it's also not, it's very, messy and it's mm. also incoherent right so it could be michael replied this but i replied something else to elsa right so right. it's kind of crazy uh so that's what we see um so i think covid because everyone is in lockdown and everyone needs to be at home they started to look at uh similar softwares like ours to do remote work together then the second part is that i think there has always been a scars supply for engineers and it becomes even more so now uh, because large companies small companies basically will use engineers help in order to gonna help them build a digital presence sure and especially you know because covid everything's locked down then you need an online presence you can also see it from the search of like shopify or kind of all those e-commerce stores kind of like shooting up because right. in the past they're like it's okay i can have my store here you know people would come and now, like, I'm sorry, no, no one would come because everyone's stuck at home. <laughs> then you have to, you know, have a digital presence. So because of the scarce supply of engineers, it also means business owners like myself that are non-technical. Like, I'm super lucky to have a super technical co-founder. So that's helps, one thing. But helps, yeah. yeah, his like bandwidth is limited too, right? I can't right. say like, hey, Ken, can you code A, B, C, D, E for me? <laughs> and what that means is that there's an emergence of this no-code or low-code movement. And even he likes using no-code because he's like, gosh, like I so like if I do coding and then like somebody needs to check it and there's like QA, 
And then there is uh, make sure it code merges to the uh, overall code base, right? So there's actually quite a lot of steps. It, it doesn't mean that, oh, uh, an engineer can just like kind of go at it. You know, there is quite a lot of other steps that are uh, required before you sure. go production. Yeah. So I felt like SMBs have the innate need to embrace this no code movement as well. So those are kind of like the key trends that we see, like cloud adoption as well as no code. And if this is a trend, and I don't disagree with you, right? That's why I asked the question, mm -hmm. but you see it from a different perspective than I do. Are there other gaps that can be filled? Do you know what I mean? That take this sort of institutionalization software, institutional style software, and mm. give it to consumers or small yeah. businesses? Are there other gaps that you see every day that need to be filled, but you're like, I'm too busy doing this thing, so I can't handle that thing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In other words, if I find another company that's filling that gap, what should I look for and how can I invest in it? It's the thing that I'm thinking, right? <laughs> you could say, I don't know. I don't know either. It's just, it's an interesting question yeah. for me, right? I'd like to make... It's an interesting question. Right? Because that's essentially what you're doing. Yeah. Like, if you ask me, I don't think we are filling an institute. Like, you know, what you're saying is there's an institutional software that large companies are already using and yeah. now small companies want to use it can i would kind of like i would actually open this up for discussion because my view is actually small businesses need different things yeah for sure for sure but yeah. but they wouldn't even have access to them if big companies didn't have access to that i just think and again we can talk about it and it's never a one for one right but the idea is that yeah if big companies can do automation i'm just talking about at scale any kind of automation yeah. small companies never mm -hmm. could yeah. But now they and can. And now they can. That's the point I'm making, right? And that... Oh, okay, okay, I get yeah, it, yeah. 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 Right? But the yes, tools yes. Could, should be different and the because the things that a small business needs to accomplish are very different than the things that a big institution need to accomplish, but the idea around that automation is similar. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, there's a critical difference between Clary AI and Wati, especially on the automation piece, is it's much simpler. Like ClearAI allows you to integrate with any systems and then it can, you know, already pass, you know, security protocols, which is necessary in larger organizations. Right. But I would say smaller organization, like perhaps the data that they're dealing with is not as sensitive, right? If you're talking about medical data, yes, it's super sensitive and it warrants that type of authentication and, you know, the security layers built around that. Right. But I would say like small organizations want to do essentially the same thing, but with a simpler method. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough, right? Because mm -hmm. again, if they want to scale, it has to be easier for them because they don't have a team of people. Even in a no-code or low-code environment, as yeah. Ken was saying, there are still other things that need to get done to put things into production. And anyone that's yes. ever developed software knows that. It's not just like write the code, throw it out there. It's, it's yeah. way too dangerous. It's, like, uh, it's yeah. write the code, There's QA the code, yeah. fix the code, test it in a production looking environment, all these things. We know that, right? Yes, exactly. So super interesting. As you get more customers on both of your platforms, right? Hmm. Are there other services that are not necessarily related to automation that you feel like you can provide to them or sell to them? I'll give you an example. I think about this yeah. a lot, obviously, because I do an InsureTech podcast, and I know that insurance penetration in Southeast Asia and in India is lower than it is in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And that if people come on your platform, and I literally just thought about this, but almost by definition, they will need some type of insurance, connectivity insurance like that, because they're using mm. your system. And if they lose connectivity, not, not 
to you, but like if their internet goes down, they're at risk. But mm. there are just plenty of, and, and again, because insurance at scale is just a pooled thing. If you have 100,000 people on your platform, it's different than if you have a million. And if you have a million, now you can provide them all health insurance. Not provide them, but offer them pooled health insurance as a distribution yeah. mechanism. Mm -hmm. Do you think about that at all? Not as much, I would say. Yeah, I get you. Like the, the key is like, we will be a large community of SMB right. everywhere. Yeah. But the reality is like, I think the way we want to communicate is universal. But okay. I would say the needs for SMB globally is not like it's an interesting thing. Like there, there are like like high level nuances. Say like, oh, they want to be close to their customers. They want to be competitive. They right. want to get market share. But it it could be there's also a lot of kind of fundamental differences. Like it's funny. Like I was um like this is like culture wise. Then um, I was emailing a. A Spanish uh, client, right? And uh, you know, I just like gave him kind of like a proposal, and the funniest thing that I saw, like in the email, he's like, "Oh, like you know, most of Spain is in holiday in August, right. and I'll come back to you later." Right? <laughs> right? And I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" It's true, though. It's true, though. <laughs> right? Like most of yeah, Europe is, is actually like, exactly like it, it is a very local like you know, then your surrounding really affects, but it, like in Asia, I mean, like who's taking a summer break? Like, I don't know, like at least a lot of the SMBs that I know, I've never seen that they're like, oh, I'll be off for a month. <laughs> never heard of it. Right? Yeah, exactly. So um, that's an interesting, like, it really prompted me to realize like, wow, like, and that's the norm there. Like they would not be uh, said like, oh, why are you so lazy, right? Like, you know, no one would say anything because that's a cultural norm. So right. it's interesting where, like, I would say the there's a universal need to communicate and to build trust. And I think that's where we play a role in. Whereas I would say there are very regional differences between the specific needs of SMB Right. in say asia like or even if you like look at asia it's like so many other countries like sure <laughs> right uh, sure, sure, sure. um versus the universal like uh, versus the region yeah i mean the needs for an smb in thailand are very different than the needs for an smb in indonesia yeah exactly yeah and a lot of it is cultural yeah. but you know a, a, one of the things for me one of the benefits to me of living outside my home country for the past 30 years is that it's been obvious to me in stark relief that you know, like you said, at a high level, most people kind of want the same thing. Mm. But, it's but then when it goes level, to local. When, when it goes to the local level and the nuances and sort of the, the intricacies of those businesses, they're very, very different, actually. And yeah, I wonder exactly. if when you're, I wonder if when you're writing, particularly this automation software, and maybe more for Claire than it is for Wati, but probably the same, do you have to make like regional adjustments to this stuff as well? So not really. Like okay. in terms of the... Again, I think Wati is addressing the high level need of needing to communicate and be close to your customers. Right. And of which WhatsApp turns out to be a very good channel for us because it has a large market globally. Right. You know, there, there would be really minor things like language translation or right to left, right? Yep. Um, you know, the way you put he, your. So there are like language. Japanese goes another way. Yeah, it's like different. Exactly. But, you know, I think other than that, there isn't too much like regional specific 
uh, specific features that we've built. Uh, one thing that is interesting is that WhatsApp is actually quite simple in terms of the messaging interface. Like if you really think about it, because yeah. you have like, you're competing against the likes of Line, Kakao, right? right? And then they have like super nice graphics. Um, so it's quite simple actually for WhatsApp. One thing that we did adopt really early that was really important to our customers are stickers. So in the past, it didn't support stickers. But, you know, I also, you know, I messaged my mom and, you know, she would reply sticker. And I'm like, what is she trying to say? Because I'll just see it from a notification perspective, it just say sticker. But, you know, essentially, that is something that uh, I would say Asia audience loves to use. um, And now, you know, slowly also globally uh, we see that trend as well so right. um so that is kind of like one of the small things that we've saw uh we've seen but not too much like feature wise there isn't like oh it, it could be you know different countries use different usage of stuff like say oh hong kong prefers automation or hong kong prefers turning off automation right. versus india likes a lot of automation right like there could be like regional differences on using the software but I wouldn't say there's a specific feature that's built for a specific country. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Sequoia Surge. Hmm. Can you run me through like what that experience, do you raised money recently for Wati? Yes. Yes, we did. Yes. And can, so it's for ahead. the entire company. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So is it a holding yeah. company that owns both of those properties? Yes, correct. So what, yeah, just like it's a different brands. Uh, and what's the, what's the company called? Clary Eye. Okay, Limited. got it. Because okay. that's like the original. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. For me, it was easier. It's just Michael Waits Media. It's like, who owns it? Mm, it's in the name. Anyway. It's hard to tell, right? <laughs> it's hard to tell. I don't know, but if I find that guy, I'll let you know. <laughs> what was the What was the process for getting into Surge? What is it like going through one of those programs? Yeah. So we are still in the program. Oh, great. And I have nothing, yeah, I have nothing but like great things for it. Um, it, like the selection process is very rigorous. Mm. Um, so each surge company would get one to two million US, uh, although our amount right now is undisclosed. And uh, right now this batch, there's 23 companies and it's the fifth batch. So each year there's two two batches. Uh, speaking about like the selection journey, it is extremely rigorous. Like I thought it would be like, oh, let's like submit a uh, application form and be done with it, right? <laughs> it is not, do not, <laughs> do not. That is like, it's so difficult. So, you know, essentially you've submitted that application. And one thing I really liked about the application is how it forces you to be crystal clear. Yep. It has a word limit for each of those and like questions. So like the answer, so it's really hard. Like I had 20 different versions for my one-liner just so it captures what I wanted to say. Um, and, you know, despite there's so little words, which you thought will be less work, but it is like way not. Harder, <laughs> yeah. So there's the application and then we start to talk to one of the Sequoia analysts and then we get introduced to the partner. Yeah. And then that uh, conversation has been on for our thing roughly two months before we have got the green light to go ahead. Wow. A bit more about the program. It is, I think, roughly three to four months. Uh, so it's quite long. It kickstarted in 30th of uh, June. And essentially you get like the entire Sequoia team kind of like helping you. So you can book office hours. There's also a weekly program that they run. So they would talk about 
Uh, it just started with like finding your mission and uh, vision and values. Uh, and then they also always have an entrepreneur to speak to you. So it, it's amazing. Like we have, have had fresh, uh, fresh service uh, founder, Tokopedia's founder. Uh, so a lot of them kind of like walk us through their entrepreneurship journey. So it's really, really inspiring. They also forces you to take some time out of your busy entrepreneurship life and to think. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the most valuable things. Uh, and it's also the peers, right? Like your peers are doing really well. You also want to do better. Right. So yeah, I think that's that's like what I've learned so far. It's really interesting, this idea of just taking some time to think. I, I try every week to set aside one day or a part of a day to think. But it's mm. hard, right? When you're trying to build something and you have momentum. Because if somebody calls you and there's an open space and you can actually talk to them about a contract or doing something, the tendency is to just fill that time with production. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know you should be thinking, but someone's coming to you and saying, how can we partner? You almost, you feel compelled to have that conversation, no? Yes, it's a discipline. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to build. Um, yeah, like, so it's interesting, like, you know, like, because I'm like really inspired, I've also been like watching like masterclass and also kind of like different uh, entrepreneurs. So one is uh, Howard, I think from uh, Starbucks, like yep. the founder of Starbucks. And then the other is Bob Iger, like from Disney. And it's interesting, like, I've seen this pattern, like, uh, that both of them take some time out of their day to reflect and just think. Right. It, it was I mentioned in the masterclass. And it's funny. I mean, like, if, even if I think about like the MD says Sequoia, sometimes they were like, oh, I was doing this reflection the other day. And I'm like, how do you get time in your day to do reflection? Right. I mean, like, you know, they're like super fit and they like, they do a bunch of things and they, they work with a bunch of companies and, you know, they're always negotiating the next deal. And, uh, and it also prompted me to think like, Hey, like, what am I not doing well enough to give myself that space exactly. to think? Right. So, yeah, I really recommend the book called Essentialism, which also talks about like, hey, like, how do you think about prioritizing things that are important for you? Uh, so really good read. OK, look, I feel like we could go on forever. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really great to talk to you, but I think I'll let you go now. I really appreciate your time today, Bianca. And also, I appreciate the fact that when we reach out, you answered and got back. I really appreciate it. Bianca Ho, co-founder and CEO of Wati. Did I get that right? And Claire.ai. Yes. It was great yes. to have you here. Thank you, Michael.